The Lord is King. Let the earth rejoice. Hello and welcome to No Nonsense Catholic on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. I'm your host, Matthew Arnold. And today's program, we are going to take a look at 12 essential principles for your spiritual life. Uh, that's assuming we can get to all 12. They are taken substantially from the work of the late Father Bill McCarthy, and we'll talk about him and uh, and those essential principles in a little bit. But to get things rolling, we just celebrated the third Sunday of Advent, known as Gaudete Sunday, from the first word of the introit, Gaudete, uh, which means rejoice. And though even though Advent is uh, traditionally a penitential season, this past Sunday, as on Latari Sunday in Lent, the priest trades his violet vestments in for rose-colored vestments. Now, the color violet represents penance. It's made up of red, which is the color of, you know, blood and the passion and the Holy Spirit, and blue, which is the color of sorrow, you know, combined together. But on Gaudete Sunday, we dial back the blue. We, we pull back on, on the sad, as the Church reminds us to rejoice always. And the introit is actually the first line of the uh, traditional epistle for Gaudete Sunday in the extraordinary form of the Mass, taken from Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. This is St. Paul, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your kindness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but present your needs to God in prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Then the peace of God, which is beyond all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, what does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? Well, this is a topic that we've actually taken up any number of times uh, in the last couple of years here since the coming of COVID, not to mention the, uh, the regrettable regimes in uh, Washington and Rome, for that matter. But uh, to rejoice in the Lord means to remember that regardless of our circumstances, to remember the grace by which God called us to the true faith and, and gave us hope of eternal salvation. And yes, even to rejoice in our tribulations and our adversities for the Lord's sake, as St. Paul did. He says the Lord is near, so we are to give good example by living a life of joy and hope, and by fixing ourselves on God, not on the world. God, who St. Paul says will never fail us if we present our needs to him in prayer and petition with thanksgiving for all the benefits we receive. And so in times of, of need and sorrow and, and dejection, the best means, means to relieve our troubled hearts is prayer, a prayer in which we give ourselves up to God's love and mercy. Actually, going to be talking about that more later. Uh, then the gospel for Gaudete Sunday in the extraordinary form, John 1, 19 through 28. This is the testimony offered by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Therefore, they said to him, who are you? So that we may have an answer to give those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? He replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the ways of the Lord. And some Pharisees were present uh, in this group, and they asked him, Why then are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Jesus answered them, I baptize with water, 
But among you there is one whom you do not know, the one who is coming after me. I am not worthy to loosen the strap of his sandal. This took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. So, why did the Jews send messengers to John to ask him who he was? Because his baptizing, his preaching, his austere way of life made such an impression on the people that they took him to be more than just an ordinary prophet, maybe, maybe even the Messiah himself. Furthermore, the Jews believed that either Elijah or one of the other prophets would return to earth to prepare the way for the coming of Christ. And that's why when St. John denied that he was the Christ, they asked if he was either Elijah or the prophet. Now, although our Lord himself said that St. John was come in the spirit of Elijah, in his humility, St. John said he was not the prophet, but only the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, which of course is what the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 9.3. So the question for us is, how do we make straight the way of the Lord this Advent? And again, John the Baptist gives us the answer. He says, do penance. And that's more than just, you know, going to confession and, and making good resolutions. But as our Lord says, bringing forth fruits worthy of penance. He says that in Matthew chapter 3, verse 8, and also in Luke chapter 3, verse 8, which is kind of a weird coincidence. But okay, this doesn't really answer the question. What does it mean to bring forth fruits worthy of penance, and how do we do that? Well, to bring forth fruits worthy of penance, we must try our best to make amends for our faults in the past, and to use all possible means of avoiding committing those same sins again in the future. Or as uh, the great St. Bernard of Clairvaux would tell us, we must love and serve God now as much and more than we loved and served the world before our conversion. Now, St. John the Baptist considered himself unworthy. Unworthy, he says, even to loosen the strap of Christ's sandal. Now, what does that mean? Well, in ancient Israel, to wash someone's feet was the work of a slave, really, the, the lowest of servants. And we know that Jesus will come to John not to have his feet washed, but to be baptized. And we know St. John's reaction. You know, you come to me, I need to be baptized by you. So what St. John the Baptist is saying here is that he's so far from being worthy to baptize Christ he was unworthy even to wash his feet. In fact, unworthy even to untie his shoes. Which lets you know why St. Peter was so scandalized when Jesus went to wash the feet of the apostles at the Last Supper. All right, great act of humility. So a, a final word here about uh, Advent in the context of this gospel. Advent is about the coming of Christ. So on the Sundays of Advent, we prepare for the liturgical memorial of his first coming in Bethlehem. Uh, and this is kind of, Gaudete Sunday is kind of where we make the, the transition to that uh, from being preparing for his second coming at the end of all things. But according to St. Bernard of Clairvaux, there is a third coming of Christ, a hidden one. He said, we know that the coming of the Lord is threefold. The third coming is between the other two, and it is not visible in the way they are. At his first coming, the Lord was seen on earth and lived among men, who saw him and hated him. At his last coming, all flesh shall see the salvation of our God, and they shall look on him whom they have pierced. In the middle, 
the hidden coming, only the chosen see him, and they see him within themselves, and so their souls are saved. The first coming was in flesh and weakness. The middle coming is in spirit and power, and the final coming will be in glory and majesty. This middle coming is like a road that leads from the first coming to the last. At the first, Christ was our redemption. At the last, he will become manifest as our life. But in this middle way, he is our rest and our consolation. St. Bernard says, if you think that I'm inventing what I'm saying about the middle coming, listen to the Lord himself. If anyone loves me, he will keep my words, and the Father will love him, and we shall come to him. Elsewhere, I have read, whoever fears the Lord does good things. But I think that what was said about whoever loves him was more important, that whoever loves him will keep his words. Where are these words to be kept? In the heart, certainly. As the prophet says, I have hidden your sayings in my heart so that I do not sin against you. So St. Bernard says, keep the word of God in that way. Blessed are those who keep it. Let it penetrate deep into the core of your soul and then flow out again in your feelings and the way you behave. Because if you feed your soul well, it will grow and rejoice. And that's what the third Sunday of Advent is all about. Rejoice in the Lord always. Joy is the great secret uh, of Christians. It's the sign that the faith has triumphed over fear, that the peace of God is more profound than any kind of peace that man can attain by himself, as, as it says in the gospel. Because the kingdom of God is within you. This was the uh, the message of Our Lady of America. Remember, uh, in 2020, um, in, in May, I believe, of 2020, the um, devotion to Our Lady of America was uh, made official. You know, it's as a, as a private devotion, and uh, you know the the various um, messages and so forth uh, for our for our meditation and private devotion. But you know, the main thrust of the messages of Our Lady to Sister Mary Ephraim was that we should be devoted to the indwelling presence of God. You know, uh, when we say that uh, one person of the Trinity does any one thing, well, anytime one person of the Trinity acts, all the persons of the Trinity are involved. So we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, as we call it, but, but it's really the indwelling of the Holy Trinity that Christ is present. That's St. Bernard's third coming. That's what Jesus was on about when he said, um, if anyone loves me, you know, the Father and I will come to him, right? And, and the Spirit as well. And this is, the, this is the secret of being a Catholic, that as our Lord himself said, the kingdom of God is within you. And that's no nonsense. All right, when we come back, we're going to be talking about the essential spiritual principles for life, okay? Twelve principles I'm going to share when we come back. Sit tight. Virgin Most Powerful Radio, and we will return after these messages.
Welcome back to uh, No Nonsense Catholic. I'm your host, Matthew Arnold, uh, for Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Your spiritual life is the most important thing in the world, and it is absolutely essential for answering the universal call to holiness, which being a true Christian demands. Which is to say, there's a number of important principles that you have to follow in order to have a personal and ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ. One that will enable you to live the new life in the Spirit, which is the purpose of our baptism. And now I want to share with you a list of essential principles today, and I want to state right off that this list was heavily influenced by the late Father Bill McCarthy of Our Father's House Retreat Center in Connecticut. I try and do this once a year um, to go through this list because it is so important and uh, poignant uh, this time around because Father passed away this year. He, he uh, uh, went to his reward in June, God rest his soul. And I met Father uh, McCarthy when he was in how oh, his late 70s, I guess. And he was just, a, he was a bundle of energy and enthusiasm. And, and he kept up a daily schedule that would have exhausted a man half his age. Uh, he was a popular preacher. He spoke at hundreds of parishes and Catholic conferences and uh, wrote over 30 books, including uh, several books on the encyclicals of Pope St. John Paul II. Uh, he, he had a private audience with uh, Pope John Paul, uh, in fact, and coincidentally, he was ordained in Rome on December the 20th, 1959, which is the day that I was born. So my life uh, in the world and his life as a priest started on the same day. Uh, he was also the director of our father's house retreat center, and that's where we met. I was actually, he booked me to do a, a weekend conference there giving some talks about, you know, my conversion and about Our, our Lady. And um, he uh, was also the professor of Mariology at Holy Apostles Seminary in Cromwell, Connecticut. And he booked me there to do some additional talks. So they really, they uh, got their money's worth that weekend. And although I lean more traditional and he was somewhat on the more charismatic side, we absolutely hit it off immediately. And by the end of the weekend, I felt like I'd known him my whole life, really. His priestly formation, of course, was in the preconciliar church, and so he just naturally employed that hermeneutic of continuity regarding the teachings of Vatican II, which is to say he was every inch a no-nonsense Catholic priest. And uh, in his books and his preaching, he enumerated a list of spiritual principles that formed the bedrock of his very practical teaching on the spiritual life. So with, with respect and, and uh, deep gratitude, <clears throat> I'm going to give you my take on Father McCarthy's essential principles for the spiritual life. And the first of those, something we talk about all the time, is poverty of spirit. The four, most important, first and most important principle. What our Lord called poverty of spirit, um, I think, is what Dom Jean-Pierre de Cassade called abandonment to divine providence. So to be poor in spirit means to accept everything that happens to us as coming from the hand of a loving father. God is the supreme master of the universe. He's, he is the potter and we are the clay. He's the creator and we are his creatures. As Father Bill would say, let God be God. And how do you do that? The answer is by surrender. Let go of your plans and be open to his plan. Let go of uh, division and be open to true unity, for all is one in him. God is simplicity itself, wisdom itself, holiness itself. God is love, as St. John says. 
To let God be God is to recognize, first off, that you and I are not God. Now, that's that's simple, that's self-evident, uh, that's true. But unfortunately, because of in original sin, it, most people behave like they don't really believe it. Realistically, even even most Catholics seem to live like, you know, secularists or practical pagans. Because by seeking freedom from his restraint, from his will, from his plan, we wind up not being free. We wind up becoming slaves to sin. So principle number one is to embrace poverty of spirit and let God be God. Number two, Jesus is Lord. Uh, in the Holy Mass, the priest says again and again and again, the Lord be with you. In Latin, that's dominus vobiscum. And the Latin word for Lord, dominus, gives us many English words like dominion and dominant and dominate, etc. So we want the Lord Jesus to have dominion in our lives. And one way to affect that is to consecrate yourself to him often. Consecrate your mind, your heart, your will, uh, your emotions. Consecrate your time and your talent, your your friends and your foes, your past and your future, your whole self and your whole life. Give it all to the dominion of Jesus. As St. Paul would say, take every thought captive to Christ. You know, be willing to embrace the evangelical counsels of poverty, chastity, and obedience according to your state of life. For example, I'm a, I'm a husband, I'm a father of six, I can't simply divest myself of all my worldly goods like St. Francis and, and you know, live the life of a, of a mendicant because I have a responsibility. I have to support my family. But that support means spending time with them and loving them and praying with them and giving of myself rather than just, you know, relentlessly pursuing money. That, yes, and you need that for support, but the money is only ever going to give them material things. You know, the question is, how can you embrace poverty and chastity and obedience according to your state of life? And the answer is by making Jesus the Lord of your life, by giving him dominion. By making Jesus your treasure, you can be poor in spirit. By making Jesus your romance, you can be pure. By making Jesus your Lord, you can be obedient. Father Bill used to recommend a simple prayer. He would say, Dear Jesus, I consecrate my mind, my heart, my lips, my entire self. I am yours. And he'd make the sign, signs of the cross like uh, we do before the gospel. Dear Jesus, to you, I consecrate my mind. He'd make a little sign of the cross. My heart, sign of the cross on his heart. My lips, make the sign of the cross on his lips. And my entire self, and he'd make the, uh, the sign of the cross. I am yours, he would say. Personally, I like to renew my morning offering. Um, you know, I do the, the, oh my God, are a few of my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day, etc. But throughout the day, I can offer up this little prayer to, to renew that commitment. I say, oh Jesus, sweet Jesus, oh Jesus divine, my life and my death unto thee I resign. Every action of mine shall thy patronage claim, for whatever I do shall be done in thy name. That's the thing. If, if everything you do, you do in the name of Jesus, that helps you to avoid sin, because that's the one thing that you can't consecrate to God. Which brings us to principle number three, which is thy will be done. Uh, Vatican II reminded us that, um, you know, we Catholics are called to holiness. 
Father Bill used to say, to live in the kingdom of his divine will is the greatest holiness. So next to praising and worshiping God, the highest act of holiness is to listen, discern, and to obey the will of God in your life. God has a will for us, his children. He has a plan. He has a will and a plan for you personally. And the greatest gift that we can offer is what St. Paul calls the obedience of faith, to give your total yes to God. Uh, Jesus, of course, always did the will of the Father. This was his very sustenance. In John chapter 4, verse 34, we read, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Likewise, Mary always did the will of God. She gave her fiat to the angel Gabriel, her yes to God, be it done unto me according to thy word, she said. And it was our Lord Jesus himself who said of his mother, blessed are they who hear the word of God and keep it. And the saints are, are people who always strive to do the will of God. And the keys, you know, are, are meditation and prayer and obedience. To meditate on the person and the presence and the teaching of Jesus, to be devoted to the, to the indwelling of the Holy Trinity, to let that permeate your mind and your heart. And then, as Mary said, do whatever he tells you. Right? The Holy Rosary is, is a perfect way to pursue this. Uh, and I've often said, you know, God's will for your life, I don't believe God's will for your life is some inscrutable mystery. Because Jesus is very plain in the scripture. You know, he says, you know, that his will for us is our salvation. He says, the wise man who builds his house upon the rock, which is Christ, is he who listens to the word of the Lord and obeys it. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Obedience, right? That's the key. It's not a popular concept these days. But the obedience of faith is key to doing the will of God. You know, back in the Garden of Eden, the one test, the one thing that established the sovereignty of God was obedience. There's nothing whatever said of love or purity or patience, because obedience includes all of those things and more. Likewise, the one thing that brought us back to the tree of life was obedience, the obedience of Jesus and Mary. You know, through the disobedience of our first parents, mankind lost sanctifying grace lost the indwelling life of, of the Holy Trinity. But through the obedience of Jesus and Mary, we can regain it, but only if we, like they, are obedient. Now, the fourth essential spiritual principle is, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. God is speaking to us all the time. He speaks externally, right, through, through his covenant, through the scriptures, through the church, through creation. Uh, through signs and symbols, symbols, people and events. Uh, creation especially was um, the method that Bernard of Clairvaux used. He said, everything that I know about the science of the scriptures, I, I learned in the, in the woods, in, in the fields. He would go out into creation and, and to listen to God speak to him. And God, of course, he always, uh, he speaks to us internally through our thoughts and our intuitions. Sometimes through dreams, like with St. Joseph, or for some chosen souls, uh, locutions and, and visions, you know, that are the Blessed Virgin Mary appears to these chosen souls and so forth. But Father Bill pointed out that the most often repeated theme in the Bible 
you know, you hear all the time that uh, the words be not afraid or their equivalent are in the scripture 365 times. So that's once for every day of the year, obviously a theme. Uh, or the command to rejoice is actually in the scriptures something over 800 times, right? But the most often repeated theme in the Bible over 20,000 times is that God speaks to us. Now, somebody once asked a uh, great medieval saint, Catherine of Siena, they said, why, why is it that God spoke so often to people in the biblical times, but so rarely today? Today, you know, for her being the 14th century. And St. Catherine said the reason was that in biblical times, people prayed, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And today we pray, listen, Lord, your servant is speaking. So we need to practice listening to God in the many ways that he speaks to us. Especially St. Augustine said, we speak to God when we pray. He answers when we read the scriptures. Okay, more on the essential principles of the spiritual life when we return with more no-nonsense Catholic right here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Stay with us. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to No Nonsense Catholic. I'm your host, Matthew Arnold, here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Great to be with you. We're going through the 12 essential um, principles of the spiritual life, uh, largely according to Father Bill McCarthy. And we were just talking about the fourth principle is, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And I mentioned before the break that St. Augustine said that we speak to God when we pray, and he answers when we read the scriptures. And I find that true in my own life, especially when I pray the Liturgy of the Hours. Uh, what better prayers could there be than those that are inspired by God? You know, praying the Psalms and the other scriptures in the office puts me in union, in, in union with the church in conversation with God. So it's not just my, my personal conversation with God, but also, you know, it's, it's the uh, official liturgical prayer of the church. And, and we are his sheep. You know, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And, and according to Father McCarthy, as we learn to hear the voice of our shepherd, then we become part of his flock and his, his church, his kingdom, however you want to put it. He said that the whole life and example of Jesus can be summed up in two words. Yes, Father. That Jesus always listened to and obeyed the voice of his Father. Yeah, Jesus says himself in John 5, 19, he says, Amen, amen, I say to you, a son cannot do anything on his own, but only what he sees his father doing. For what he does, his son will do also. And this is it's the key to the abundant life that Jesus promised in John chapter 10, verse 10. Because for him, for Jesus himself, and for all of us, life on earth is an obedient, filial relationship with the source of life, which is to say, God the Father. All life, all holiness comes from him through the Son in the Spirit. To listen, to discern, to obey the voice of God is to be truly alive in his kingdom. And then speaking of the kingdom, there's principle number five. The kingdom of God is within you. This, as I mentioned before, this is uh, St. Bernard of Clairvaux's third coming of Christ, that indwelling presence of the Holy Trinity. 
as we listen to and obey and discern the will of God, we're transplanted into a new kingdom, which is the, the, the kingdom of the Spirit, where God is God and Jesus is Lord, <clears throat> where we begin to think thoughts that are inspired by his Spirit, where we live our lives empowered by the Spirit, where our, our wisdom and love and power is that of the kingdom. See, as the indwelling of the, of the Trinity, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit rules our lives, we become more and more poor in spirit. See how this connects to everything we've talked about so far. We become more humble of heart and forgiving and loving and pure and obedient. The kingdom, we find, is now among us, yes, and the kingdom of God is within us. And that's, you know, it's through that indwelling, it's through the sacraments, through baptism, through confirmation, that we understand the kingdom parables. You know, for as Jesus taught, they can only be understood by those who stand under him. Okay? In his own words, whoever belongs to God hears the words of God. Boy, that's no nonsense. Now, the sixth principle is the cleansing blood of the Lamb. I mentioned baptism and confirmation. Of course, the the other uh, sacraments that we receive most often are Holy Eucharist and penance. And those are both connected to the blood of the Lamb. Jesus comes with a kingdom of love and mercy. He comes to save us, to cleanse us as we repent of our sins and with his grace forgive those who have hurt us. He cleanses us through his blood shed for us on the cross. Through his blood, Jesus gave the church the keys to forgive, to unbind. You know, on Easter Sunday, after Good Friday, after that horrific death, and then his glorious resurrection, he appears to his first priests, first bishops, the apostles, and he showed them the wounds of his crucifixion. And he said to them, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. He's telling them something, isn't he? And it says, Scripture says, and when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. Just as in the Old Testament, it was the priest who poured the blood of the Lamb on the, on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. So in the New Testament, the blood of the Lamb is administered through the priest, right? And consider the sacrament of penance. Every time we make a good confession, there are three miracles that take place. First, every bit of sin and guilt is washed away. Good confession I'm talking about. All of our sin, the guilt is washed away. Second, the bitterness and the hatred and the unforgiveness, those things that, that we hold on to are released. And it's especially true if you realize the truth of Christ's words that are spoken by the priest. I absolve you of all your sins. Now, this is so far beyond human forgiveness. This, this is an encounter with the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who takes away your sins. And number three, we are given the power to forgive sins ourselves, to get on with our lives. You know, so many people, it, to forgive ourselves, so important, you know, because so many people walk around loaded with, with guilt, with neurotic guilt. You know, and they repress it, they deny it, they rationalize it, they project it. But after baptism, only the sacrament of confession, only penance can cleanse that guilt, purge it. 
And that is a powerful key that the blood of the lamb cleanses. All right, principle number seven, my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Jesus is calling us to a supernatural life, so he provides us with supernatural food. He said, I am the bread of life. Amen, amen, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life within you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I have life because of the Father, so also the one who feeds on me will have life because of me. Jesus is the bread of our life, our very sustenance. Every time we receive his body and blood worthily at Holy Mass, we become what we receive. We become bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh and humility of his humility and love of his love. According to Thomas Aquinas, since it was the will of God's only Son, uh, God's only begotten Son, that human beings should share in his divinity, he assumed our nature in order that by becoming man, he might make men gods. In other words, he partook of our humanity so that we may partake of his divinity. We are, through the Holy Eucharist, partakers in the divine nature. As Jesus said, this is my body for you, this is my blood for you, we live out the Eucharistic celebration in our lives by becoming living sacrifices. As we say to those we meet and love along the way, this is my life for you. Uh, principle number eight, there is one flock and one shepherd. The kingdom incarnate that Christ came to bring to earth for all the people of the world is his one holy Catholic and apostolic church, which he left as the pillar and foundation of truth, as St. Paul says in 1 Timothy 3.15. Because God is one, the church is one. Because God is holy, the church has the means and the obligation to be holy. Because God loves everyone and his son gave us the Great Commission, the church is Catholic or universal. It's, it's for everyone. And because Jesus said to Simon Barjona, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, the church is apostolic. And Jesus prays in John 17, the great high priestly prayer, uh, John 17, 21, he prayed that we all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and that there would be one flock and one shepherd. Now, since Jesus built his church upon Peter and his successors, to whom he gave the keys of the kingdom, we are to live in union with the Pope. Now, knowing the weakness of human nature and our tendency toward disunity, Christ founded his new covenant on one man, on Peter. Uh, Peter the rock, right? In, in each of the previous covenants, the covenant with Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, he did the same thing. But here he built in succession. And he, and he shows us, because in Isaiah 22, David, king of Israel, gives to his prime minister the keys of the earthly kingdom, along with the authority to open and shut. 
And then Jesus employs that same symbolism of giving the keys of the new kingdom to a prime minister, right? Jesus gave the keys to Peter. And so Peter as prime minister, as steward, and his successors, they're the final authority here on earth with the power to bind and loose. Therefore, they command our obedience in matters of faith and morals. Now, the Pope's power is not absolute, right? He's not without sin. He's not, uh, you know, infallible in everything he says and does. He's not the king. He's merely the king's steward. But since Jesus said to the apostles and their successors, he who hears you hears me, and he who rejects you rejects me, he had to make sure that the voice of the church would be reliable. Hence, the gift of infallibility. And that's not the gift uh, of, you know, of the Pope, but of the papacy, right? It is a gift that is rarely used um, in, in its extraordinary manner, you know, uh, but, but it's often present in the ordinary magisterium of the church uh, whenever the Pope or any, any bishop faithfully reaffirms what, what's contained in the deposit of faith. Anytime they teach what the church has always taught, that is itself infallible and the voice that we, we have to listen to. All right. Um, the number nine principle is that all uh, is all in the family. I want to put it that way. All in the family of God, let's say. And I'll leave you the question. Father Bill used to ask, if you drew a picture of God's kingdom, what would it look like? So put your mind on that for a minute, and we'll be back with uh, the answer and lots more on Hear No Nonsense Catholic on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Stay with us. Okay, welcome back to No Nonsense Catholic. Uh, talking about the essential principles of the spiritual life, um, as inspired by the late Father Bill McCarthy. And principle number nine is all in the family of God. Now, like I said, Father Bill liked to ask the question: If you drew a picture of God's kingdom, what would it look like? So, you know, would it be a, a king in his royal court, you know, surrounded by grand courtiers, or perhaps like an army? ready for battle with its banners unfurled, or, or would it look like a classroom, or a court of law, or, or a, you know, a bunch of monks at prayer, or perhaps like a family gathered around the table for a feast? And really, any one of those things is, I think, descriptive of the kingdom. But Father Bill said that he thought the last would be the closest to the truth, because what God is doing on earth is creating family, uh, creating family his way, which is by covenant. And, uh, you know, those of you that are familiar with Scott Hahn, you know that that's, that was his doctoral thesis, right? That kingship by covenant. And this is the covenant in a nutshell. I will be your God and you will be my people. And Father Bill pointed out that my people in Hebrew means family. Pope St. John Paul II uh, famously said, God in his deepest mystery is not a solitude, but a family since he has in himself fatherhood, sonship, and the essence of the family, which is love. So the heart of God, then, is that God is a family, a trinity of persons loving one another. And this is what God wants of us, who he created in his image and likeness. God created man to his own image. Uh, to the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them, Genesis 1.27. God calls us to love one another with the height and depth and length and breadth of his love. 
Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And this is a new new commandment, because Jesus didn't merely ask us to love one another. He didn't even say, you love uh, your neighbor as yourself, but love one another as I have loved you. And that is with with the same kind of sacrificial, self-giving love, that that greater love that no man hath than to lay down his life for his friends, that kind of love. And this we cannot do without the help of his Spirit, who comes to dwell in us in the sacraments, especially in baptism, which makes us the adopted sons and daughters of God, and therefore members of the Church, which is his family. Principle 10 is honor thy mother. It is through Jesus, the new, Mad- the new Adam, and Mary, the new Eve, that we gain our new life, that we are now in the family of God, new creations by grace. We have God as our father, Jesus as our brother, and Mary as our mother. You know, on, on the Holy Cross, Jesus gave Mary to John and through him to all of us as his parting gift of love when he said, Behold your mother. John 19:27 and that's confirmed in the book of Revelation 12:17 where it says then the dragon became angry with the woman that's Mary and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring those who keep God's commandments and bear witness to Jesus that makes us Mary's offspring that's us we are her children and God calls children to honor their fathers and mothers and Jesus asks us to honor Mary his uh, his mother, the mother of all who are being saved, in a preeminent way. And Mary prophesied herself in the Magnificat, all generations will call me blessed. Number 11 is to live by the Spirit. Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another paraclete that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it sees him not nor knows him, but you shall know him because he shall abide with you and shall be in you. The paraclete, the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring all things to your mind, whatever I shall have said to you. So God the Father and the Son have sent their spirit to enlighten our minds when we meditate and pray and and to inflame our hearts when we receive uh, the Eucharist and and love and and to direct and guide our lives uh, in as far as we're open to him. That spirit within you wants to guide you each and every step on your way to eternal union with God. He enlightens our minds as to what to do, inflames our heart with a desire to do it. That's what it means to inflame your heart and strengthens our will to overcome obstacles. God did not leave us orphans. We are not alone. God leads us not into temptation, but delivers us from evil if we follow his directions. He says in the, the Psalms, my word shall be a lamp unto thy feet. He will guide us on our earthly pilgrimage uh, so we don't stray into sin and danger. And scripture tells us in Isaiah, the Holy Spirit brings us gifts of wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, and fear of the Lord. So wisdom that enables us to, to know God and esteem divine things above worldly things understanding to help us comprehend our Catholic faith and the Bible and to appreciate the example of the saints, counsel uh, to guide ourselves and others to do God's will, especially help us get through spiritual and temporal problems, fortitude, the, the strength that we need to endure and have the courage to stand up for our faith, 
and to suffer adversities and persecution for the sake of God. Knowledge to know God and, and ourselves and others as God knows. Piety, which is the gift that infuses us with love for the faith of our Father. To honor and to reverence the church's tradition, that's piety. Number seven, fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. We fear is just punishment of our sins, but we more so fear to displease and offend him. As we say in the act of contrition, I detest all my sins because they offend thee, my God. And then the fruits of the spirits are laid out in, in Galatians. The point is that Jesus warns us not to be lukewarm. He said in Luke 12, 49, I have come to cast fire on the earth. And what will I but that it be kindled? The descent of the Holy Spirit was accompanied by tongues of fire. There's an urgency in the service of God. Isaiah said, they that hope in the Lord shall renew their strength and take wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. So let our prayer be, come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of thy faithful and kindle in them the fire of thy love. And finally, um, essential spiritual principle number 12, non nobis domine, not to us, O Lord. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to thy name give glory. Now that is the prayer from the Psalms uh, that was the motto of the Knights Templar, the medieval warrior monks whose, whose rule of life was composed by the great St. Bernard of Clairvaux. You know, St. Bernard is the, the patron of candle makers because he was such a great light in the church. And like him, we are mirrors that reflect the fire of God's love. And our Lord tells us, you are the light of the world. Men do not light a candle and put it under a, a basket, but upon a candlestick so that it can shine for all in the house. So let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. What's he saying? That when you become the light of the world, that others will glorify God because of it. St. Paul says, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever else you do, do all to the glory of God. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 31. We are here on earth to give him glory. And we will spend our eternity singing, holy, 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 Lord God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of thy glory. You know, at Holy Mass, we are surrounded by a heavenly chorus of saints and angels giving all glory, all the honor, all the adoration, all the praise to God. And that is their song, Non nobis domine, non nobis, sed nomini tuo do gloriam. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to thy name give glory. So these are the 12 essential principles, spiritual principles. And let me just, uh, I'll go back here, take a peek through these. And we'll enumerate them. Number one is poverty of spirit. Number two, Jesus is Lord. Number three, thy will be done. Number four, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Number five, the kingdom of God is within you. Number six, the cleansing blood of the lamb. Number seven, my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Number eight, there is one flock and one shepherd. Um, number nine, all in the family of God. Number 10, honor thy mother. Number 11, live by the Spirit. And number 12, not to us, O Lord, but to thy name give glory. These are the 12 essential spiritual principles. These are the things that will help you 
to live your life in a way that is pleasing to God. And that is that is the meaning and purpose of life, to know, love, and serve God in this world and be happy with him forever in the next. And I'm going to give one little pitch. You know, it's important to pray. It's important to pray every day. I pray uh, the rosary with my family every day. It's important to pray as a family. I also say my own uh, prayers every day. Always begin the day with a morning offering, for example, and I read from the scriptures every day. And the great way to to do, to kind of accomplish all of those things, uh, as far as your own personal prayer is concerned, is to uh, pray the liturgy of the hours. You know, I, I've had kind of a love-hate relationship with the liturgy for a long time, because as a traditional Catholic, I I feel like I want to pray the traditional office, but it's it's just you know I don't I don't have the uh, the time, honestly, to to stop and pray um, around the clock like that, and you know, and they're lengthy. You're praying all 150 psalms in the course of a week, and so that's one of the things I think that Vatican II did was to, you know, they have something called the shorter Christian prayer, which is an abbreviated version of the office that was really intended so that lay people would be able to participate in that, uh, the other official liturgical prayer of the church. You know, we've got the Holy Mass and the Divine Office, or the Liturgy of the Hours. And uh, the way it's set up, you're doing the whole Psalter over four weeks instead of all in one week. And um, you pray the morning office, the evening office, and then night prayers. And uh, and that's very much like, I think, the the medieval serf, right, uh, who was lucky enough to live next to a monastery. He might get up, at first light and, and listen to the monks sing lauds and then go do his daily work. And then perhaps on the way home, stop, uh, for vespers and maybe even go to Compline before bedtime. But what about the other hours? Well, he would fill those in with the five decades of the rosary. And that's what we can do today as lay people. You can pray those morning prayers, evening prayers, night prayers, and then pray your five decades of the rosary every day to participate with that liturgical prayer of the church to participate in a conversation with God that is also a conversation where the whole church is involved. And that's a beautiful way to experience the kingdom of God within you and also the kingdom as the church on earth. And that's no nonsense. All right. Back uh, next week with lots more. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate everything you do to support Virgin Most Powerful Radio with your prayers, with your donations. Um, if you're not a monthly donor, please consider it. You can go to vmpr.org. It's real simple. Just click the button that says donate, and I'll tell you what you need to do. So until next time, though, thank you so much for listening. Uh, enjoy the rest of your Advent, and uh, Christmas is coming. The Lord is coming. 